You know, after 14 years of leading worship full-time, it's really just strange to be on the other side of all this. <laughs> it's even stranger to be standing right here where I'm at. Kurt is off on vacation, so I'm filling in with the message today. If you have your Bibles or your devices, I'd encourage you to go ahead and find Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. And while you're doing that, just to catch you up, we're in a series called Detours and Decisions, and we're following the life of Joseph. Today's message is on discouragement and desolation. It's at this point that Joseph is in jail. That's a discouraging place. And so I think what we're really talking about today is this idea of perseverance. Joseph's whole life was a model of per perseverance from front to end, right? How many of you guys know this story? I think a lot of us know this story because it's an inspiring one. And perseverance makes for an inspiring story. The best shows have this. As a matter of fact, I think about it, one of my favorite shows is a reality show called Alone. How many of you guys know that show? I love that show. If you don't know, I'm going to catch you up a little bit. Basically, there's 10 individuals. They sign up, and they get to go into the wilderness and so survive for an indefinite amount of time, alone. They not only have to survive, but they have to film themselves doing it, and that's what creates the show. Well, why would anybody in their right mind sign up for that? Because there's a $500,000 pot if you end up being the last person there. So there's a, there's a lot of reason not to tap out, right? And that's how you get out of the show. There's two different things that can happen to you to get you to leave the show. One is a medical tap out. When you're out there, things happen. Accidents happen. You might not have boiled your water long enough and now you've got a bacteria in your gut and you have to get pulled out of the field because now you're at risk of dying from Giardia or whatever. Or you nick yourself with an axe and it has to be taken care of. They don't do medical treatment in the field. That's considered a medical tap out and you get pulled. But there's a second tap out and that's one where you can just say, I am absolutely sick and tired of this. I don't care about $500,000. Tap, get me out of here. And that's the vast majority of them because they're tired of where they're at. I like that show. There's something about, you know, sitting on the couch, eating your potato chips, watching somebody else starve. That's just... <laughs> You know, and at the same time, you like to sit there and speculate who's got the legs to stand, who's got it. When I was a kid, I liked to watch different shows, but they still had perseverance in them. Shows like Star Wars. Where's my Star Wars people at? Yeah, I knew. I knew you were here. These, these are my people. And Indiana Jones. Those were probably two of my favorite shows growing up. But, you know, as I've lived some life as an adult... It's less compelling to want to be those individuals. Yeah, it'd be cool to use a lightsaber and wield the force, all of that. But I don't want Darth Vader for my daddy. I don't want him to chop off my hand. And there's a lot of strife that came along with that. And Indiana Jones, I mean, who doesn't want to be the good-looking guy that gets all the girls? But you get punched in the head that many times, you're not going to be that good-looking and you're going to have brain damage. So I don't want to be those individuals either. But I was raised in the church, and I knew this story like the back of my hand since I was that tall. And I remember even wanting to be like Joseph. But I think about it now, and I don't really want to be in the driver's seat of Joseph's life either. I mean, last week we learned that he was a slave. This week we find out he's in jail. Who wants to be a slave and in jail? 
none of us. You live enough life, you're like, you know what? Life's got enough things that I have to persevere through without pretending to be in somebody else's narrative and add to my own problems. We all want to be like the hero until we get into the driver's seat. But at some point, whether you like it or not, life will throw you something that causes you to be in the driver's seat where you have to persevere and have to buckle through, stick your nose to the ground and get through it. So how do we persevere when things get tough? And I mean real tough. Well, I think that's why stories like Joseph's are in the Bible. To model for us how to do it right. Because Joseph absolutely did it right. One of the first things I learned is sometimes that things will get worse before they get better. So let's jump into Genesis 39.20. And let's read how things are going to get worse before they get better. And I probably should back up for a second. Remember, Joseph was in Potiphar's house as a slave. Now, he was the master of the master's household. The Bible says everything that Joseph touched ended up turning to gold. Potiphar took notice, elevated him into being basically the top slave. But that's like being king of the manure pile. It's better than being at the bottom of the manure pile, but who wants to be on the top of a manure pile either? Either place is not a place you want to find yourself. So Joseph... His master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So what we call out of the frying pan and into the fire. Another story of perseverance, the hobbit. That's where that quote comes from. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. Went from a worse situation, a bad situation, to a worse one. And guys, I want to take a little side note right here before we start talking about Joseph, because I think that sometimes we put ourselves into the fire. Now, Joseph wasn't the case in the sense. Life happens and sometimes things get worse and there's nothing you can do about it. And you didn't do anything to make it worse. It just happens. But more often than not, what I observe as a pastor is when people get overwhelmed, that's when stupid things start to happen. That's when we do things that are self-destructive. For example, if you only have 50% of the money you need for rent this month, it's due tomorrow. You want to make a bad situation worse? Go blow it. I've seen people say, I don't, what's the point? I can't pay my bill anyways. Might as well have some fun before it all comes down on me, right? No, that's, that's a bad thought process. And if you're that kind of person, when you get overwhelmed, you know you're prone to those kind of mistakes, come talk to us, go talk to a friend. Because if you think you might be about to do something silly, if you're overwhelmed, go talk to them and listen. I think that's so important because you want to make perseverance more tough, make your bad situation worse on yourself. Sometimes it can't be avoided. A lot of the time it can. So what happens? The situation is worse. And admittedly, when I tell you that sometimes things will get worse before they get better, who wants to actually hear that? But I think that sometimes a realistic point of view can really help us get through bad times. I liken this to plumbing. I hate plumbing. Plumbing is like a black hole from which there is no return. That's what it feels like for me. Any of you guys tried to take on a plumbing project and it went south on you? (laughs) My people right there. (laughs) That's my story too. There's a reason I put things off when it comes to plumbing. And my master bathroom shower valve was no different from that. Since I bought that house, that shower valve has leaked. It's the kind on the cold water side that when you open it up, that's when it starts leaking. And it's designed in such a way that when the water comes out, it's actually a good design because the water pours out into the shower. 
So it really doesn't cause any damage to speak of, although long-term, left unchecked, it can cause bigger problems, which it did. So my six-year fix for this thing was to take a giant shampoo bottle, and I stuck it right in front of where that water was splashing so it wasn't splashing me in the back of the legs while I was trying to take the shower. But for those of you who have a spouse, you know sometimes they tend to move your stuff. <laughs> and so my wife would get in there clean and move my shampoo bottle, and it's 4.30 on a Sunday morning, and I'm getting ready, and I didn't realize it wasn't there, and I'm getting cold water in the back of the legs, and now I'm way more awake than I was ready to be at that point in time. And then the shampoo bottle disappeared altogether. And I think that was her passive-aggressive way of telling me, get that stupid shower fixed. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, two months ago, I've got to get it done. I just got to buckle down and get it done. So I did what any man does when he's trying to figure out how to do something. I popped onto YouTube. Then I called my dad, and then I called my brother, because they both have experience. And through that collective information, I was like, okay, I should be expecting about an hour's worth of work about 50 bucks worth of parts, and a couple trips to the hardware store. I heard the, yeah, right, and that's exactly right. Six trips to the hardware store, six hours of work. Yeah, that's how that was going for me. I hate plumbing. And I gotta tell you, my attitude through all of that was absolutely horrible. See, when that water was pouring out there all, the, all through the years, the hard water deposits sealed the handle onto the valve, and so I had to drill it out. If you've ever drilled stainless steel, that is a chore. I finally got the handle off, but obviously I ruined the handle, so I had to go get a new handle. And then the handle that I had didn't match the one on the other side. And I didn't realize until I got back from the store that that was the case. So I got to go back to the store and get another one. And by the time I got all said and done, I had not one, but two new valves, two new handles, and a new shower top on the top of it. And I was inventing problems for myself by the time I got said and done, because I had that shower, and it was coming off real hard. And I was thinking, I'm going to drop this thing. It's going to fall onto the plastic shower pan. It's going to break it. And then I'm going to have to pull out everything I just did and the shower and redo it all. I was mad. Did I say I hate flinning? Here's the thing, guys. I fixed that valve. I did it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I could have stopped and celebrated right then and there that that was the fact that I actually accomplished what I set out to do. But that was my attitude. I wasn't celebrating what I had done. I was angry about what I had to do. Next. You ever find yourself in that kind of a place where you don't stop and celebrate the little things? I think Joseph was masterful at that. Every victory, no matter how small, is a point to celebrate God's provision and refocus on him, even if something as silly as a shower valve that got replaced. I'd never done it before. It was an accomplishment. Genesis 39, 21 through 23, that says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. This is like deja vu for Joseph. This is exactly what happened when he was in Potiphar's house. Everything he touched turned to gold, and he was being elevated. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, you'll notice I underlined, well, I didn't hear, I did upstairs. Those two last words, he did. 
that's all too easy to miss. Joseph did something. Why was he blessed? Because he did. Keep busy. When things get tough, don't give up. Let God bless the things you're doing by doing. Small points of perseverance can accumulate. They can. Don't get so overwhelmed that you give up because there can be no blessing if you don't keep on. Get busy doing something. That's the first thing I learned. The second thing that I learned is that no matter what you're feeling and no matter what people have done or treat you like, you are not forgotten by God. You are not forgotten by God. Isolation, abandonment, betrayal, even just a series of bad luck can contribute to wondering if God even cares. It's a mistake to take how others have treated us and project those feelings into a sense of abandonment by God. You know, revisiting the show alone that we just talked about, you know why most of them tap out? Because of the name of the show. They're alone. It's not the hunger. It's not the suffering. It's the mental thought of, does anybody even care? Do they miss me? Man, I miss them. Are they thinking about me as much as I'm thinking about them? And then they smash that button. Can't wait to get out of there. But life doesn't give us a button. Sometimes we're in that whether we like it or not. So what do we do? Do we give up? No. Do we get angry with God? No. It's not him that did that to us. The thing I like about that show alone, remember how I talked I like to speculate who's going to win, who's got the legs to stand? I've watched that show for 12 seasons now, and I can tell you this. You want to bet on the guy who has faith. Because statistically... That's the guy who stands. That's the guy who makes it. If you, walk, if you look past the show, if you find the Christian, which they hide it in the show, it's there. If you look for it and you find it, there's a very good chance that is the person that's going to get to the end. Why? Because he's not alone, and he knows it. It's a whole different place to be, and that's where Joseph had to be. You know, Joseph had to felt alone at times. It's undeniable. It's not like he was some superhuman. He was flesh and blood like you and me. Did he wonder at times if his dad still missed him all those years later? Did he wonder if his brothers felt sorry or any remorse for what they had done to him? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Did Potiphar ever actually find out what really happened? And even if he did, did all that Joseph had done for him account for anything? Would it have changed anything or was he still stuck in jail because it wasn't that important to him at the end of the day? Yeah, I bet he felt forgotten. I bet he felt very forgotten. But here's where Joseph is unnatural, at least for me. He wasn't mad at God for it. That wasn't something God did to him. That's something people did to him. Don't confuse the two. We're going to jump into Genesis 40. And this is the account of the cupbearer and the baker's dream. And hang with me for a second because we're going to jump away from that theme for just a moment. But I think we still find that throughout the rest of the narrative here. So let me set that up for you. See, there's this cupbearer and the baker. And the cupbearer and the baker are servants of Pharaoh, the grand poobah himself. They got some of the best jobs you can have. They did something that made Pharaoh angry. Doesn't tell us what it is, but it must have been pretty bad because they found themselves both in jail. Now, the text says that they were dejected by a dream, but I'm surprised they weren't dejected by the simple fact they were just in jail. 
this must have been a wild dream they had, right? So let's pick up in verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, and I underlined this in my Bible, do not interpretations belong to God. You know, for a guy that feels so alone, it's interesting that he's able to hold on to God so hard because remember, it's not like he has other brothers and sisters of the faith that are able to be accountable to or to build him up. There is no iron sharpens iron in this kind of environment. He's in pagan Egypt. I went to the Nelson Atkins Museum with my family a week ago and walked through the Egyptian museum or exhibit part of it. And it was nothing but idols everywhere you looked. He would have been in the thick of that, alone in his faith. And so this is how he responds? That's superhuman. That's amazing. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on that vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. Now, I'm skipping over verses 14 and 15 for a reason, so keep on following with me in 16, and we'll return to those verses. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given him a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. You think he was sorry you opened his mouth at this point? This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, that three days is important for two reasons. We're going to find out later on at the end of this sermon why. One of those reasons is, but the other one is, is stop and think about how those guys had three days to think about what was going to happen to them. Been a little unnerving. Now, the third day was Joseph's, or excuse me, Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hands. And surprise, surprise, he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. So Joseph has the supernatural gift of interpreting dreams that God has given him the authority to do that. In Genesis 40, 14... We're going to jump back into the middle of this text after the, after the cupbearer got his favorable outcome. This is what Joseph said to him. When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Think about this for a second. When we talked about the show alone... When we talked about Indiana Jones, Star Wars, these other guys, you know, they all had an objective that they were working towards. They knew why they were doing what they were doing. You think Joseph knew why he was doing and going through what he was going through? That can make perseverance even harder, isn't it? There's no $500,000 at the prize, or at least not one that he's aware of. You know, he's not working for the betterment of humanity, at least to his knowledge. He doesn't know why he's in prison. 
yet he keeps on keeping on. That's a side note lesson, I think, for us. If you're in something tough right now, you may not understand why, but I think you'll understand at some point there was something bigger for you. There is a light at the end of that tunnel, and that light at the end of the tunnel can be pretty amazing. A few verses later, we read in Genesis 40, 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And I want to return to this idea that, you know, people are going to forget you. The cupbearer forgot him after all that he had done for him. But Joseph didn't attribute that to God. He wasn't angry at God for the cupbearer forgetting him. People are going to let you down. I've let people down. I'm sure you have too. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. And sometimes when people treat us poorly, we are angry with God for something someone else did to us. I keep on reiterating that for a reason. I think that's important. It's all too often that we attribute that anger towards God, but recognize that is not the case. You are not unloved. You are not less important than others, and you are not forgotten. Not by God. Yeah, people may forget you, but God has not. And when we read through Joseph's stories, we are reminded that we are not unloved that we are not less important than others and not forgotten. A third thing, and the last thing that I'm going to bring up today, although there are many points of perseverance throughout Joseph's life, we could go on for hours in this, but I'll try to finish on time. I can't, but God can. You can't do it, but God can. I can't finish on time, but God can. I'm kidding. <laughs> But in the context of what we're reading about, I think this is probably the most profound statement in the whole narrative of Joseph's life. It can be summed up with what Joseph's response to Pharaoh was. You know, eventually this cupbearer did remember Joseph and his ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh had had a vivid dream of his own. We're going to talk about that next week. And in this dream... He didn't understand what was going on. And so he got all of the mediators, all of the soothsayers, the prognosticators, every pagan person that claimed they could be able to do this in the land, brought them forth, and none of them could actually tell them what this dream was about. And that's when the cupbearer said, you know, this guy in prison told me my dream, and everything he said absolutely came true. You ought to try him. And so Joseph is pulled down from prison, still, still in prison, but pulled up to Pharaoh. And this is what is recorded in Genesis 41, 15 through 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said to you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Pharaoh's answer, or excuse me, Joseph's answer to Pharaoh was, I can't but God can. Joseph was showing an incredible amount of humility in this statement. Do you think the temptation was there for Joseph to take credit for the ability to interpret that dream? I know that would have been tempting for me because I don't want to be in prison and I'm hoping to do anything I can to get out of that position. Joseph didn't give in. He gave God the credit for what God could do. There's incredible humility in that. Yet at the same time, we see unparalleled confidence. Not only that God can do it, but God's going to do it. You know, for those of us who struggle with an ego, the message of this is humble yourself. 
You can't do it. God can do it. Not you, but God. But counter to that, for those of us who struggle with insecurities, you can't do it. But God can. There's so much hope in that. There's so much hope in that. We can say in the toughest of circumstances, I can't, but God can. You know, sometimes you and the doctor can't beat the cancer. Sometimes it's that bad. But I have seen instances where God went above and beyond and healed people of cancer. Not every time. But medical science has no explanation. We do. God can do it. We have faith that he can do it. You know, you can't heal yourself or someone else. But God can. I have a friend from Council Bluffs. She's an elderly woman. And she got full-blown dementia. Exhibited every trait of that horrible disease and what it does to you. How many of you know somebody that's gone through dementia or has it right now? That's tough to watch, isn't it? This woman had it all and she stands still to this day, it's been seven years, completely in her right mind. They take scans of her brain and they say, you still have full-blown dementia. Nothing about this makes sense. But she's an incredible woman of the faith and she had people on her knees praying for her hour after hour after hour and God performed a miracle in her life and now she is in her right mind. They couldn't, but God could. You can't break an addiction? God can. Man, I was slave to a couple addictions within my youth that I could not kick. I couldn't do it. I had to surrender those things to God, and that was the only way I was going to get broken free from them. And hallelujah, I am free. He can break addictions. You can't go any further? God can give you the strength for today. As a matter of fact, he promises it. You can't change a loved one's heart? Maybe a daughter, a son, a spouse, grandma, grandpa, whoever. God can do it. I have a nephew who has gone through a lot in his life. And his statements to a lot of his family members in the past has been, if there is a God, I hate him. And my folks helped raise him. And they have been on their knees for that kid every night of their life, every morning, praying that he would be saved. And my dad got a text four o'clock in the morning a couple of days ago. I found God and I love him. You can't do it, but God can. Get on your knees and stay on your knees because God can do it. You can't save yourself. That's true of every individual in this room, including myself. Every person that's ever lived outside of Christ himself, you can't save yourself. But God can. And I'm looking at a lot of faces right now that are saved indeed. You didn't do it, God did, and he can. Let's be honest, you cannot save yourself from yourself. But he can. God can do it. This isn't the only place in the Bible where we read about God being able to do something we can't. Paul said in the New Testament to the Philippians in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Now, I know this is one of the verses that's probably more, pulled more out of context than any other. But it's a different context, but similar message in tough circumstances, is it not? We see the same message across the bottom. What he's saying here is, I can't, you can't, but God can. That's what he's saying. We see that again in Mark 10, verse 26 through 27. This is Jesus saying this. And they were astonished exceedingly, saying unto him, then who can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Matthew 17 Verse 20 through 21, for truly I tell you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, faith in what? A mustard seed? No, I don't think so. Faith in God to do something that we can't do. And it doesn't even take that much faith. That's the illustration here. God can. We may not be able to do it, but God can. Now, I want to make sure that you're not taking this wildly out of context, okay? We're talking about the context of perseverance. In the context of true isolation, depression, anxiety, struggles, addictions, diseases, what have you. The real message of hope that you can't, but God can, can help us hold on just a little longer. Endure just a little more. Get to see that light at the end of the tunnel. You can't, but God can. Can you see how putting your focus on this, how putting your focus on this simple phrase, like Joseph, at, it uttered, I'm going to back up here, I'm getting tongue-tied. When Joseph uttered this phrase to Pharaoh, it absolutely and undeniably changed the trajectory of his life. You know, the next couple of weeks, we're going to see miracles happen in this man's life. You can't, but God can. Joseph is in jail. He's going to be ruler over all Egypt like that. You can't, but God can. And here's the climax of the whole message right here. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven through eight. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all all who have longed for his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? Because this is defining you. This is why we persevere. Because even in death, there is an ultimate light at the end of the table that releases us from all our sufferings for eternity. That's something worth having some resolve over. That is something worth looking forward to. The promise that we will get to be with Jesus in his likeness and his goodness one day. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for just even this little short story of Joseph's time in jail. And I know I haven't even begin, begun to unpack everything that's in there for us. God, I pray that as we look at Joseph's life, we find a resolve, we find reason 
we find ways ourselves that we can persevere through it all. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I asked if I could do the communion meditation today because I want to tie it back to the text that we were just in. Specifically the cup bearer and the baker. And for those of you who are in Israel, Kurt is the one that turned me on to this, so you probably heard this in a lot better illustrated form than I can bring to you. But I'm actually trying to make a little bit of a different point, so hang with me here as I back up and I jump into the New Testament and read from Jesus' words first. In Matthew 7, 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The words of mine. You know, that's interesting when you put it in the context of what John wrote about Jesus. If you open up to John, chapter 1, verse 1, this is what John had to say about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was translated as Logos. It's another name that was attributed to Jesus. Jesus, Logos, Emmanuel, all words for the same person. He was in the beginning with God. All things, in, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Yes, it's true that Jesus had an incarnate life where he lived on this earth for 33 years, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't a deity in heaven with, Christ, with God himself from front to end, whatever that looks like. I have a hard time grasping eternal, you know, not having a start and beginning, but that's, that's what we read here is that Jesus is with God and doesn't have a start and beginning or an end. Why is that important? Well, because in our culture right now, there's a mega pastor right now that's preaching to millions of people. We need to start untethering the Old Testament from the New Testament. And I think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Where did you come up with that idea? Well, it's Old Covenant, and we're under the New Covenant. What? Well, well, yes, parts of that are true. If Jesus is the Word of God, and what do we call the Word of God? This right here? He's divinely inspired every sentence on every page, front to back, Genesis to Revelation. And yeah, he's the co-author of everything that's ever been written in here. There's some things he wants us to know about himself in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Psalms, Habakkuk, beyond just what's recorded in the words of Paul and the Gospels. Here's some proof of that. If we go back into Genesis 40, we see a lot of allegory. What does a cupbearer do? Brings the wine. What does the baker do? the bread. I mean, you don't have to be a master theologian as what you have in your hand right now is bread and wine. What about three days? Three days he will lift you up and you will be restored. What happened with Jesus? After he was killed, three days later, he was risen. You know, what happened to the cupbearer? He was restored. What happened to the baker? He was killed. What happened to the two sinners on the cross? Left right of Jesus. One was restored, one was killed. Jesus is setting up a narrative for himself all the way through scripture. 
need some more proof? Let's jump into something a little bit more practical here. Let's go to Matthew 27, 46. This is Jesus while he's on the cross, his own words. And it says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I gotta be honest, without the context of the Old Testament, you would be really confused and probably come to some bad theological understanding of why that says that if you didn't have the context of Psalm 22. And I'm gonna reveal for you a bias. Although Jesus said what was in Matthew 27, 46 as incarnate, he's also co-authoring what was said in Psalm 22, one about himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's talking about himself. This is his story, 600 years before he was born. That's so cool. And why were they so desperate to stop him from talking at that moment while he was hanging on the cross? Remember, they took the stick with the sponge and the vinegar, and then they put it up to his lips to get him to stop talking? Well, the Pharisees knew Psalms 22, and they were pretty desperate to get him to stop talking. Here's why. If we jump to verse 16 in Psalms 22, it says, For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This is prophecy happening in real time right in front of their eyes. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, if you are familiar with the story of the cross, all of those things are happening. This was written 600 years before. I believe by the person that was hanging on the cross. So if you want to untether the Old Testament from the New Testament, you lose, you lose all the context. You have less of a picture of who Jesus is. It's even more important when you jump on to verse 30. It says, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. H, he is capitalized. Jesus. He did it. It is done. Jesus' last words on the cross were to tell us, it is finished. He did it. He conquered the grave for you and for me. You know, those Pharisees, they had an opportunity to repent of what they were doing right then and there because they saw prophecy right in front of their eyes happening. says when one person comes 
from the knowledge of God the Father, there's more celebrating in heaven than for all the people that already believe because it's that important. And when my nephew said yes, I can envision all of heaven erupting in joy. You can have that story too. So as we take communion, remember not only what Christ did on the cross for you, but thank him on your knees that we have a clear picture of who he is from Genesis to Revelation. And there's so much more that we can know about him if we're open to it. God, as we take communion together, it's all about you. Front end. Let us live our lives better for you and it's in your name I pray.